So today we are continuing in our series. It's called A Worthy Life. And I'm excited because my friend and coworker and worship leader, Josh Weber, is going to be speaking to us today. So here he comes. Thanks, Joey. Thanks, buddy. Have you guys ever seen a worship pastor have a heart attack before he preaches? Whew. Whew. Came, came really close. Whew. All right. Good. Man, it's good to be here this morning. I Seriously, I got to take a breath. It's good to be here this morning. The question for you, have you ever walked away from a conversation and you just feel on top of the world, right? I mean, I mean, you feel light as a feather. You feel so good because of what somebody said to you. You, you know the kind I'm talking about, right? Well, I had this experience the other day, actually just a few weeks ago. I was taking my nine-year-old son, Mason, to basketball practice, and out of the blue, he says, Dad, you're a really good athlete. Well, thanks, buddy. Yeah, I'm a has-been athlete, and I was kind of moved. He said, no, really. You're, you're a good athlete. You play basketball with me. You play football and, and tennis and soccer. At this point, I'm really feeling myself, right? You know, <clears throat> doing pretty good. My boy's making my day with his words. And then he says this, but you know, Silas's dad, he's a really good athlete. <laughs> Classic Mason. I mean, but it was, it was really the sweetest moment. Like, it was, it was so nice. And isn't that interesting how just a few words can make your day? How a few words can affect your, your entire mood, sometimes even your whole week, or in rare cases, an entire season of life. Well, I want to share some words over us over these next few minutes. Okay, I'm going to read something, and I want to ask you, okay, I want to ask you, if you would, as I read these words, to close your eyes, okay? You've got to trust me, okay? I want to ask you, go ahead, close your eyes. Quiet your mind and simply listen to these words from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You can open your eyes. A few weeks ago, I read these words in very much the same manner, slowly, methodically, just really taking them in. And to me, a resounding theme rose to the surface. Our words have power. What we say and how we say it affects everyone around us. It even affects our very own souls. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about how we speak. If I go back to the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs, I'm going to hear things like this. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. A fool's mouth is his destruction. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And if we jump over to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, Everyone must give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word spoken. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> but seriously, when I take all of these passages into account, what we read in Ephesians and these other passages, I start to ask myself this question. Can we even do this well? I mean, is, is this even possible? And I go a step further and say, in the end, do our words really matter that much? For the last few weeks, we've been looking at the New Testament book of Ephesians, examining what it means to live the worthy life to which we've been called. <clears throat> Now, up to this point, the Apostle Paul, he's been speaking in kind of these overarching, lofty principles for the community of believers. He's teaching them things such as unity and living a new life in Jesus. But today, in our passage, he's going to begin to really narrow in and focus on the nitty-gritty of Christian behavior and how those behaviors affect the entire community of believers. And today, he's particularly focusing on our speech, what we say and how we say it. Now, this morning, I'm going to share a few observations from our passage. There are certain standards and principles that, that Paul seems to highlight for the church here at Ephesus, but also for us today. And if I had to label this section of Scripture, I'd simply call it Paul's Prohibitions and Practices. Paul's prohibitions and practices. Basically, he's saying, hey, guys, there's some things that we need to stop doing, and there's some other things that we need to start practicing. And by eliminating these certain behaviors and cultivating these healthy practices, man, we're going to be on our way to living that life to which Jesus has called us to. And, and they're really simple truths. If you think about it, these principles, these are things that we teach our children at a very young age, right? Tell the truth don't lie. We, we help them regulate their anger, right? We tell them to be kind to each other, things like that. Practice forgiveness. Now, my daughter is three and a half years old and uh, going on 16, believe me. Um, we call her our three-nager. And uh, she's going through this old-school Disney movie phase. And so uh, a while back, she watched the movie Bambi, um, which I can't stand. Like, it's just a horrible movie, if you ask me. And she confirmed it because she didn't like it either. But there is this point where this rabbit named Thumper says these words. If you can't say anything nice, 
don't say nothing at all. Thumper's right. I mean, these are very basic principles. And sometimes we need to be reminded of these basic truths to get back to these basics. And so with that said, let me share the first principle that I see Paul highlighting. The church must prohibit corrosive comments. The church must prohibit corrosive comments. If you're using your app this morning, we're trying something fun with like a fill-in-the-blank thing, so enjoy that. Now, I think we've all been the recipient of unkind words from time to time, and unfortunately, we've also delivered some of those unkind words. And corrosive comments take many forms, whether lies, foul and abusive language, slander. And these careless words corrode the dignity of others as well as our own souls, right? And we see it all around because we live in a culture of outrage and corrosive comments. I mean, social media is flooded with it. Political ads celebrate it. And unfortunately, the church has not been immune from it from time to time. Now, part of the reason this can be such a struggle is due to our anger. And Paul spends some time highlighting that in our passage because anger is often the culprit. It's often that gateway to these corrosive comments. And that's why Paul says, don't sin by letting anger control you. If we jump over to the New Testament book of James, he says this, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. In the spring of 1894, okay, going back a ways, 1894, the Baltimore Orioles came to Boston to play a routine baseball game but what happened that day was anything but routine. The Orioles' John McGraw became angry and had words with the third baseman from Boston. A fight broke out, and within minutes, the benches cleared and a brawl ensued. The warfare quickly spread to the grandstands, and among the fans, the conflict went from bad to worse. Someone set fire to the stands, and the entire ballpark burned down. Not only that, but the fire spread to 107 other buildings in the Boston area. Slow to speak, slow to get angry. Now, when anger fuels our words, it really is like a wildfire. If we go back to the book of James in chapter 3, he describes our tongues as fires, as a world of evil, it can corrupt the whole body. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Slow to speak, slow to get angry. Now, there is a proper place for righteous anger, but the majority of human anger quickly degenerates into sin. And I think that's why Paul is saying, hey, put a time limit on it. Deal with it promptly. Deal with it ASAP. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry because if you let that fester, you let that sit there, if it's left unchecked, you're going to give ground to the devil. And he doesn't need much space to work with. Pretty soon, he'll take that foothold and he'll wreak havoc in your life and the lives of all those around you. 
And before we know it, communities begin to fracture. Christians don't look very Christ-like, and the world begins to form a very distorted and inaccurate view of our Savior Jesus. There's a poem that says, A wise old owl lived in an oak. The more he heard, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard, why can't we all just be like this wise old bird? Or perhaps you prefer the Greek sage Publius who said, I have often regretted my speech, never my silence. Now there's something else that happens when we allow anger to fuel our words, and that's the second principle that Paul seems to highlight here. The church must not bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Right? He says that in verse 30. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Now, other translations would say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And this phrase actually appears another place in the Bible. And the similarities are quite striking. If you go to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 63, the prophet is recalling how the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they had been rescued from slavery, they had been brought out of Egypt, they had been redeemed, but they began complaining and arguing and disobeying. Yet despite their sin, God chose to eventually give them rest by the Spirit of God. So the same spirit that they had once grieved had now entered their midst and delivered them and gave them rest. And I think that's why Paul is using the same phrase from Isaiah 63 here in Ephesians. It's like he's saying, church, we are that new covenant community. We are the chosen people of God. We too have been rescued. We've been redeemed from our slavery and bondage to sin. And now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So let us not grieve the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit by which we have been sealed for the ultimate day of redemption. Remember, He has identified you as His own. And that's the other part of verse 30. So good. He has identified you as his own. And I think this is a pivotal phrase in our passage today. Paul is imploring the Ephesians to recall their identity. He's saying, church, remember who you are. You belong to Jesus. You are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And as, as we've said multiple times throughout our series, our identity determines our activity. And so when we remember our identity, we'll begin to cultivate some really healthy activity, some really healthy practices. And that's what brings me to Paul's third principle. The church must practice constructive conversations. Now, you don't have to close your eyes, but hear these words again. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Our words have power. What we say, how we say it, affects everyone around us, even our very own souls. 
And what I love about constructive conversations is that the majority of the time, they're based in relationship, right? They're not just some flippant comment, right? They're based in relationship. And these virtuous words, they bring dignity, they bring goodness, they bring what is helpful and encouraging to not only the recipient, but the one who is speaking those words. Proverbs 16.24 says this, Kind words are like honey. They are sweet to the spirit and bring healing to the body. Sometimes the right words at just the right time can be that spirit-led, life-giving, healing balm to our soul. And when we do that, when we practice that as the church, the church grows stronger. Our communities begin to look more and more like Jesus. Now, constructive conversations are not always easy. It may sound like rainbows and lollipops, right? But they're not always easy. Sometimes what's required is a candid conversation. And those can be hard, right? I mean, those can be, those can be very difficult, but often it's exactly what's needed, and we need to practice this in a healthy way when we navigate conflict within a community, right? There was a time my junior year in high school, during basketball season, where I was not very good with my words, we'll say. Um, I was not proud of my language during the stretch there. And I'm still a pretty competitive person, and we had lost this game, and we went to the locker room, and I was just fuming, and on top of that, not everyone was taking this loss as seriously as I thought they should be. So there was just some laughter, some joking going on, and I had had it. And this one kid in particular, I went off, like in front of everyone. He just berated him in front of everyone. And I said some words that I greatly regret. Now, I was following Jesus at that time. The recipient of those words was not a follower of Jesus. And I did not look very Christ-like in that moment. Another teammate of mine by the name of Kevin, also a fellow believer, one of my friends, he pulled me aside later on, and he basically said, dude, what the heck? That's not who you are. That's not how we talk to people. Get it together, because you're representing Jesus. That was hard to hear in that moment. But that was exactly what I needed to hear. A constructive conversation based in relationship that was good and helpful and kind and encouraging for, for me in that moment. And it actually changed the trajectory of my basketball career throughout high school. And I vowed I'm going to watch my words both on the court and off the court from now on. I have two questions for us this morning. Two questions for all of us to ask ourselves as we examine the power of our words. The first is, what must I prohibit? What must I get rid of? Maybe it's the words that I post on social media. <laughs> Maybe it's angry outbursts in a combative election year. 
Maybe it's slandering my classmate. What must I prohibit in order to live a worthy life? Second question, what must I practice? What must I practice? Maybe it's encouraging words to my coworker or good and helpful words to, to my friends or my kids or my spouse. Perhaps it's a candid conversation that's long overdue. Or simply speaking the truth in grace. What must I practice in order to live a worthy life? Our words truly are powerful. And isn't it interesting how just a few simple words can make your day? How a few simple words can affect your mood, your week, sometimes even an entire season of life. When I was in sixth grade, I had a life-changing, formative experience, but I did not recognize it at the time. I was at church with our junior high youth group, <clears throat> and we were engaging in this activity where we would write a single word on a post-it note, and then we would put it on the back of the person whom we were describing. Now, our student volunteers in here are thinking, that's the dumbest idea in the world. <laughs> Why would I put that in the hands of sixth graders? <laughs> and I'm sure there were some very humorous words, probably some really cringy moments. But for me, on that Sunday, there was another sixth grader that put a word on that post-it. And little did I know that that one word descriptor would be life-changing and formative for me. And here's what's fascinating to me. What God began back in sixth grade is starting to come full circle. Now, I'll tell you the word. The word written on that note was leader. And it might sound strange. It might sound silly to you for me to share that word today. But if I'm honest, like, I've really struggled to live into that part of my identity. Like, I really have throughout the years. And so here's what's fascinating and, and what's crazy, and maybe that's not even the way to say it. I think maybe it's, it's how God works. But in the last two years since I've been at Grace Fishers, that same word has been reinforced. And it's been spoken over me, actually by some of you in this very room. And what's, what's wild and crazy and scary, and, and I think good, is that I'm actually starting to believe it. And I'm actually starting to live into that part of my identity. And I'm forever grateful. Hmm. Now, you probably saw post-it notes on the seat back in front of you. Don't worry, we're not going to put post-its on each other this morning, okay? <laughs> All right, so... Breathe a collective sigh of relief. We're not going to do that. But they are there for a reason, because I have a challenge for us today. Maybe you take that post-it note and you just write the name of someone on it. The name of someone who needs to hear an encouraging word spoken from you. Or perhaps you take that note and, and you write a meaningful message on it. And you put it in your kid's lunchbox. Or on the textbook of your classmate 
Or maybe you leave it on the, the bathroom mirror in the morning for your spouse before you go to work. I think too often we leave so many good things and so many good words unspoken. And that can be fathers to sons, mothers to daughters, friend to friend, and kids and students in the room. Don't neglect the power of your words spoken back to your parents. I think from time to time, we leave so many things unsaid, and often a single word, a single phrase, can have such a formative impact on the life of another, and also on your life and in the life of the church. So one final question. One final question, taking this all into account. Can we do this well? <laughs> right? I mean, is this even possible when it comes to how we speak? And in the end, do our words really matter that much? Yes. Yeah. I think the answer is yes. Yes, we can. It is possible. And in the end, our words do matter so much. Now, we're not always going to get it right. I, I think we know that. We're not always going to get it right. We're imperfect. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. But we have to remember those words from verse 30 that Paul brings us back to, that pivotal phrase, remember he, God, has identified you as his own. Man, we got a hinge to that. He has identified you as his own. That's our identity. And as his own, as followers of Jesus, hear these words from the entire book of Ephesians, now spoken over us today. You are chosen to be holy. You are saved by grace. You are created anew. You are God's masterpiece. You are members of his family. You have been given the Holy Spirit. You are strong. You are empowered. You have been united with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. And you are made complete in Christ. So yes, yes we can. It won't always be perfect, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and who we were created to be, yes, we can. Our words have power. What we say, how we say it, both the good and the bad, affects everyone around us, even our very own souls. So friends, Simply stated, let our speech reflect our Savior. That's what it comes down to. Let our speech reflect our Savior. And by doing so, we will live the life worthy of the calling we have received. Let's pray. God, our Father, you are so loving and kind, and gracious. And Lord, we thank you that you have chosen us to be 
that new covenant community, that new people who throw off the old and put on the new self, created to be like you, truly righteous and holy. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just continue to help us, aid us by the power of your Spirit. Lord, give us the help that we need as we practice our speech. Help us to watch our words, Lord. And Father, let us not neglect to speak those powerful, life-giving words that you have given to us, not only to ourselves, but also over those around us. Lord, we thank you that you are walking this life with us. We thank you that you have called us something, called us to something greater. And Lord, our aim is to live that worthy life. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.